0: At this point, we're all aware, in some capacity, that fashion has a major impact on the people and the planet. Whether it is the textile waste and where textiles end up in the landfill, and the production behind our garments, how many hands it touches, how much waste is in the supply chain, the back end side of the industry is becoming more and more front-facing as people are having these conversations. You know, the industry is definitely responsible for a really intense amount of global carbon emissions. And the industry itself is built on that single use where you buy something, you wear it a couple times, you throw it away. And that has been the model for the last few decades. And it continues to accelerate negative impact on our water on our resource usage on just so many elements and fashion revolution is really working on trying to create more awareness around the data which is something more and more people are needing because there's still a lot of mystery it touches so many people it impacts women it impacts countries all over the world, and we're just starting to really pressure the conversation around what is the impact of fashion, and we need to take it seriously.
1: In 2013, the Rana Plaza disaster where a building collapsed and killed 1,000 garment workers and injured more than 2,500 in Dhaka, Bangladesh, spurred global outrage. The catastrophic event inspired fashion and design professionals Carrie Somers and Ursula de Castro to create Fashion Revolution, an international nonprofit organization spanning over 92 countries dedicated to mobilizing citizens, industry, and policymakers through research, education, and advocacy work. In the United States, Fashion Revolution USA's mission is to bring thousands of stakeholders and volunteers across the fashion industry and textile supply chain together to help create an inclusive U.S. fashion system that conducts business ethically, regenerates the environment and produces responsibly. Fashion Revolution USA has activated citizens across the nation to stand up for garment workers' rights through campaigns like hashtag WhoMadeMyClothes and legislation like SB62 in California to enforce fair labor practices. I have been obsessed with the organization for several years and it was truly an honor to sit down with Fashion Revolution USA's Director of Education and Global Programming Kathleen Grevers, and Director of Operations and Community, Ashlyn Perzerdwiki, to chat about the industry challenges like textile waste and labor malpractice. Grevers and Perzerdwiki also share what we can do as global citizens to advocate for fair labor and sustainability in the fashion industry. Check it out. Hello, and welcome to A Fashion Moment. I am so excited to have the folks here from Fashion Revolution. I've been following their work, their advocacy work, and and all the amazing initiatives that they have going on for the fashion industry to hold us accountable. I mean, there's so much going on. But anyways, we'll get into that. I would like to introduce Ashlyn Przewethi. Did I say it correctly? And Kathleen Grevers, please introduce yourselves and, and tell us what you do at Fashion Revolution and why you decided to, to be a part of this. And maybe we should like, I don't know, talk about what Fashion Revolution is.
2: Thank you. Um, so asha and I, we work as um, director levels within Fashion Revolution USA. And um, so, I am from the Boston area. I started with Fashion Revolution when I had received um, a research grant to travel into other countries and understand fashion education. And the research grant took me to three different continents. And throughout those three different continents, all I kept seeing was Fashion Revolution, nothing that I saw here in the U.S., um so when I got back from that research trip um started looking into why do we not have fashion revolution in the US and and you know how do we amplify that so I started with baby steps within the school that I was teaching at at the time and the school was super supportive of creating you know space for me to show artists and designers what fashion revolution is and why it started so I've been with Fashion Revolution for about six years now in different capacities, but right now as the director of education, uh collaborating with a lot of education institutions from all levels, you know, primary, <laughs> secondary. Hey doggy. Um, and yeah, that's that's Charlie the poodle. He's hey very Charlie. <laughs> Charlie, Charlie's a part of the team, you guys. He is totally. But yeah, so that's a little bit about my background before we jump into um what Fashion Revolution is, but I'll hand it over to Ashlyn.
0: Amazing. Thank you, Kathleen. What I, what I really love about our team, our all-volunteer team, uh, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit later, is that we all come from different backgrounds and perspectives and how we find our way to Fashion Revolution and to the conversation around sustainability and ethics in fashion is really individual, which is so beautiful. And we all have our own unique journeys and pathways into that work. And for me, my pathway sort of starts differently than Kathleen, where I was um, in my undergrad um, exploring, what do I want to do with my life and my career? I knew I was passionate about the environment. I cared about social change. I also was highly creative. um, And so when I was pulling all of those elements together, I found all of my majors aligning at the intersection of social justice, um, environmental education, and design and uh, costumes. And what I ended up discovering was that there were a lot of complications at those intersections around textile waste and um, issues in fashion and design and that these communities weren't talking at the time. And so I decided to dive deeper into that for my research um, in my senior thesis and just do what I could Um, On my campus and in my community to educate on these things that I was learning that nobody was talking about. You know, I'm I'm from the Midwest. I'm in Minneapolis. And at the time, not enough people were even in this conversation at the time. And so um, right when I graduated was the uh, Rana Plaza garment factory collapse uh, that happened in Bangladesh which is actually the impetus for starting the movement of fashion revolution. And so it was the perfect timing for me to see an opportunity for me to take action in some way. So I also started as a volunteer in my community hosting events and, and just trying to get the word out about something that I was just devastated to have discovered in my, in my journey. And so Fashion Revolution was a major um, contributor to how I shared this work and this information with people in a very inspiring, community-centered way. And it was so beautiful to be connected to the community. And so I've since then moved around in my role. I was the Midwest coordinator um, and now I'm the director of operations and community and get to work with our amazing volunteers and directors and core team to really just keep growing and building the movement that's been happening over the last eight years. And I'm just really honored to to get to be in in partnership in this space.
1: That is wild. I can't believe it's been like eight years since that incident, but it's almost like, I, I think that was one of the few that probably got but it's like how many more incidents like that have happened that we just don't know about? So, what exactly is fashion revolution and why in the world should we have one?
2: That's a, that's a great question. Um, so I'll start by just saying that Ursula De Castro and Carrie Summers had started Fashion Revolution very close to the time when Rana Plaza happened. They were both um, designers and researchers, re- researchers in the field at that time, and really pivoted to create a world citizen activation for understanding what, why our garment factories um, in this situation and what's happening to the people inside of them. So they created this mission to aim at the cultural change, the industry change, the policy change, and and to create a movement worldwide. So, um, you know, we as the U.S. are a branch of this worldwide movement. And we really, in the U.S., connect with the mission and vision of what Carrie and, Ursula has started. So our advocacy here is, is not as, you know, any different, but we're very focused on, you know, what is the U S relations with garment workers? What is the U S relations with policy and, you know, our political climate, what is the U S relations with manufacturing? Um, and then all of the individual people as part of that, the workers, the designers, the artisans, um, every, every piece of it, So it's, it's very geared to what Ursula and Carrie had started, um, you know, back in 2014 and it's carried on through that. I think we have, I want to say it's more than 92, but I'm, I can affirmly say it's 92 countries that are part of fashion revolution. Um, I think we did just onboard Zambia and one other country in Africa and we work closely with all of them in different aspects. So it's a very big community and, you know, it's a supportive community. And, um, the one thing I'll also note is that at fashion revolution, we don't bash brands. We're not out to, you know, say this is bad. This is good. We're out to say, this is the facts, um, take it and and do what you can with it. So, um, that's where we're coming from. And you guys do
1: great research as well, which we'll get into. I'm like, oh, look at the index. And, you know, you're keeping track of sort of what's happening and and getting companies and people involved. Now, you said ni- 92 countries? 92 plus. <laughs> I'll say. I mean, you guys, like, you know, with any grassroots movement, I mean, that's a lot. That's like, how do you all sort of connect with each other? Like, is there a conference? Like, do you guys meet like once a year? Like, how does that work? How do you keep the messaging consistent and
2: and get more folks the recruitment? There's just so much. So each country is, we basically have our own, um, I would say governance in a way of each country. So each country has a country coordinator, um, or it's it's separated out because in the US we have five directors versus one country coordinator so we're a little bit more decentralized but we're you know a, a larger country and we can support and try to get the movement stronger within our country but also support developing nations as well um so in in aspects of you know having different community calls um zoom of course is used very heavily um we use, you know, different, different, you know, WhatsApp groups. We have so many different connections depending on what we're working on. Cause you can imagine, you know, the approach that we use to onboard volunteers in the U S may not be the same approach that, you know, they need to use in Germany or in Zimbabwe. So, um, we all talk about the, the goods and the bads, and then we try to kind of interpret it within the culture that we're in.
1: Love it. And I I have to say, just like straight up, I love the branding. Who did it? Who did it? Was it you, Kathleen? Ashlyn, was it you? Like, I love it. I'm like, oh my God, this is brilliant. Whose design is this? There's some masterminds
2: in the headquarters, I'll say.
1: Oh my God. The messaging. I was just like, oh my God, you just want to print it and like, put it on your wall. It's gorgeous. You guys check it out. I'm curious, do you guys partner with any organizations or associations like the CFDA or, you know, some of these other, uh, you know, nonprofits that are working or, or trying to make the fashion industry better? Like, are there any collabs in the mix? Steven, Stephen, Stephen Kolb, calling Steven,
0: <laughs> Steven Kolb at the CFDA. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that fashion revolution as a global movement and then as Kathleen so beautifully said, um, you know, all of the different countries, I partnerships and collaborations are a core component of everything that we do as a mostly volunteer run organization outside of a few um, different countries and the HQ, you know, we rely on each other and that collective action and just the, the shared Um, wisdom of others. And I think that comes in the form of research initiatives and the global um, HQ often leads incredible partnerships with British Council and Enclosed Campaign and Canopy and all of these incredible, you know, other NGOs and grassroots movements. And then in the U.S., we have our own partnerships and, and communities. And then even in every city, individuals and city leads have their own partnerships and collaborations. And what's beautiful about this work is that we recognize that we can't, we can't do it all ourselves and that we need each other to make these shifts and that the collective wisdom is where the innovation happens. Absolutely. And so we really want to see this open source movement Mm -hmm. um, where all the resources are out there, people can interpret them, they can take them, they can make them their own and and really drive the changes that are needed in their own communities um, and within their own partnerships. And so that's what I really just is so motivating about this work is that it is for everyone and everyone has a role and partnerships and collaborations are the only way that we're going to shift the changes that we need. <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely. And I'm curious, of the volunteers are are they mostly students or do you have a mix? I I mean, I'm sure there's some that are from other industries. Like what, like, who are your volunteers at Fashion Revolution?
2: Kathleen, do you wanna to speak to the global? Um, sure, sure. So the, the global volunteers are really people that are come from many different aspects. So yes, the majority is from, um, design and artistry, but we have some really strong people within manufacturing too. Um, and the onboarding of more, you know, of the data centric of the policy centric, um, you know, aspects, we, you know, in the U S we, we gear towards a lot of people who want to be a part of fashion revolution in any capacity. So, um, I chariot the student ambassadors and help them with, you know, what they want to do on their university or college institution. I work with high schoolers. I work with middle schoolers. Um, you know, we're trying to engage more with parents. So, you know, those volunteers are pretty a full breath.
1: Yes. Woo. Gen Z. Yeah, Go Gen Z. I tell you, they are, they are not playing games. They are not. Gun control climate. Like we don't have time. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Well, you know, many of us were horrified by the recent climate change report. And, you know, this year, the world economic forum identified fashion and its supply chain as the planet's third largest polluter after food and construction. So in what ways like does fashion sort of you know fashion production negatively impact the earth? Like I I think people are just like huh like some people are like, huh? Like what are you talking about? I think people forget about the production part and like the manufacturing part and just focus on the design. So, like, what what's causing all of
0: this? Well, I I can start with um, just the the broader conversation around um, fashion's impact. I I think at this point we're all aware in some capacity that fashion has a major impact on people in the planet. Um, whether it is you know the textile waste and the the Know, where textiles end up in the landfill, and um, the production behind uh, behind our garments, um, how many hands it touches, how um, how much waste is in the the supply chain um, development, and just the back end side of the industry is becoming more and more front facing um, as people are having these conversations you know, the industry is definitely responsible for a really intense amount of global carbon emissions. And the industry itself is built on that single use where um, you buy something, you wear it a couple times, you throw it away. um, And that has been the model for the last, um, you know, few decades. Um, And it it continues to accelerate um, negative impact on um, on our water, on our resource usage, on just so many elements, and and Fashion Revolution is really working on trying to create more um, awareness around the data, which is something that you know more and more people are needing because there isn't, there's still a lot of mystery. Um, you know, even the the conversation around. Fashion being the third largest polluter or the second or all. There's just a lot of there's a lot of miscommunication because there isn't enough research and development into this space, because I think sometimes fashion isn't taken seriously as um, a global um, economic engine. And it is it's so powerful. It touches so many people. It impacts women. It impacts countries all over the world. And we're just starting to really pressure the conversation around what is the impact of fashion, and we need to take it seriously. And so um, I know there's a start to that conversation, but there's so much more we can do. And I know Kathleen can speak a little bit to that data conversation and, um, and just really more about that side of the work?
2: So there's the unsexy side of fashion, right? There's the side where you're not, you know, r- walking down the runway and you're not watching, you know, Comme des Gaussons' next collection. And there's the piece of it that um, I think, as Ashlyn pointed out, that we, we don't consider. And those are the foundation pieces. So when someone says, you know, we're the second, we're the first, we're the third, you know, largest polluter, if there's not exact citation evidence of it then all it does is go into this you know black hole of well that was a you know misconception and then the whole idea of it is just pushed away and not considered again so um i think that you know within our community of fashion revolution we're pushing very hard for more Um, data education outcomes. Um, We're pushing hard for higher education to get more on board with providing students with, uh, you know, programming that has data research. How do you do it accurately? And then how do you then pinpoint different fashion issues and be able to regurgitate that back into quantitative and qualitative information that can be cited and academically used? Um, So I think That piece of it, the unsexy side of it, including policy, including government activism, um, all of that needs to be more of a model for higher education. And in these, you know, glamorous fashion departments where students are pushed to create collections, one-off collections, and then, you know, what happens next? So if we're not providing more of these resources, then we're going to continue the cycle because that's the foundation of creating a circular economy is the business, the policy, the data, all of the research. So hopefully that'll come to fruition soon. You know
1: what, guys? I, I have to ask because there may be some listeners out there like who may not know, but what in the world is a carbon emission and why should we care about that? not everyone knows, not everyone. They're like carbon emissions. Okay. Like, you know, (laughs) there, some people don't, I'm asking for you, you guys, I'm asking for those of you out there who may not know.
2: So it's basically how emissions are released into the atmosphere. And I am not a scientist. So I am not going all good. Basic is cool with us. (laughs) The idea is that, that you can actually capture data on how much, um, of you know fossil fuels, coal, oil, how much is, is that elite released into the atmosphere, and what is that component of greenhouse gas? So that is what's destroying the the planet, um, and that is what we're really focusing on with everything on this earth. Um, and how do we regenerate that, and not just sustain that? We can't sustain. So, how do we regenerate that? So, you know, from from a very non scientific point of view, that's that's what it is. Now, that's thank you so much because I know some some folks out there are like, "What? What's a carbon?" You know,
1: we want you to keep listening and and know what we're talking about. So, I would love to know what inspired "Who Made My Clothes." I thought that was a fantastic campaign, um, and and also just what are some of the questions that we as consumers should be asking ourselves when we buy clothing.
0: Yeah, I think this kind of leads really brilliantly from your last um, question about, you know, what is carbon emission? There is a lot of lack of transparency about the supply chain of fashion. A lot of us just go to the store and say, oh, look at this lovely, you know, XYZ, without really thinking about where it's from, what's the process behind it, who made it, what's its impact. And Fashion Revolution was really built on that concept of transparency. So when the Rana Plaza garment factory collapse happened in Bangladesh in 2013, um, you know, 1100 individuals lost their lives um, who were working in the garment factory And this was not the first or the last of these really tragic industrial um, disasters that happen around fashion. And so Carrie and Ursula uh, really used that as the first conversation piece in starting Fashion Revolution and asking individuals to get curious. Who made my clothes? What's the story behind it? And really pushing for that awareness that there are people behind the things that we own, and it's not just a machine. And there's so many stories and, um, and just hands that touch our clothing and just love and, and art that is put into the making of our things. And we've lost that human-centered connection with our with our clothing. And when we're not connected with the things that we own or that we buy and wear, it's easier for us to just throw them away or not regard all of the, the you know, elements that go into it. And, and the campaign around Who Made My Clothes was also to activate citizens to ask brands tell us, tell us about your supply chain. Who made my clothes? Um, Do you even know your supply chain as a brand? And really just having that open dialogue conversation with a brand that you really love um, and and providing that opportunity for human-centered connection that we all really authentically want and need in our life. And so every year that is the core of the Fashion Revolution Week campaign, Um, And it is just, I think, the core center of the movement of advocating for the people behind the things that we wear.
1: I love it. I love it so much. You know it's so crazy. You know I I probably delved more into this when I took a course. Like thank you Coursera. Um, the MoMA actually has a really great one called Fashion as Design, and it just goes into you know just the materials and you know sort of like what you guys have been talking about. But yeah, they go into you know like different different materials. Um, you know materials that. You know, will actually, you know, go back into the dirt and, you know, what what, what's the word I'm looking for, you guys? Yes, thank you. Because I was like, what is the word? Good lord, I'm sorry, (laughs) y'all. Right, right, yeah. They were like, yes, like you know, there's like wool's and, and and materials like that, and and I think sometimes people are like, oh, like this is a material made from like water bottles like is like or plastics is that is that something that's like is that sustainable quote unquote like to just keep recycling that or I mean it's technically not a material that would you know I guess what's the word again thank you to the planet you guys I'm telling you I'm, I'm new to all of this i did all of
0: this. <laughs> that's why. That's why we're having this conversation. We we want it to be accessible and things that we can learn about and g- share together. Like it's very important to to be open. Like, what is that? Help me understand. Yes. How can we figure this out together? So no, shame. I love it. No shame. No shame. No shame. But I'm just like. I mean, does
1: that make sense? And then I was like, should I focus on more natural materials? Like, you know, the cottons and and the wools and, you know, things that come from the earth. Like, I just, I don't know. So it really got me to just thinking about that overall. Um, Even if something was coming from a sustainable brand, I was looking at the actual material and what it took to make that. And I think that sometimes like you mentioned, Kathleen, sustainable gets thrown around a lot, sort of like greenwashing things like, hey, you know, we made this one change in the supply chain. Now we're sustainable. But you guys do something that's really cool. You guys actually um, created a transparency
0: index. So I'm sure the reason Kathleen and I paused is that um the the we um is really focused and centered in um the global headquarters in the uk for the fashion transparency index so we at fashion revolution usa have not we don't have our own fashion transparency index report although we would love to work on that so Kristen, you got to help us with that Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But yes, there is a fashion transparency index report that comes out every year that our HQ leads on so beautifully and brilliantly, um, and really just prioritizing the mission of Fashion Revolution that transparency is a key component to pushing for the changes that we need. But Back to the you know greenwashing conversation, transparency does not equal sustainability. It does not equal you know fair labor and all of these things, but it is a part of that process of un, you know unraveling and demystifying what is happening. And so it's really focusing on um, analyzing and ranking 250 of the world's biggest fashion brands and retailers. And talking about their public disclosure, so their transparency, what are they talking about, what are they sharing on the areas of human rights, environmental policies, impacts within operations and their supply chains. So it's really just looking at public disclosure, transparency, um, governance, supply chain traceability. So it's, it's very highly data-driven and research-driven around um, what is happening or what what is transparently happening.
1: That's awesome. I mean, they do it for so many different industries now. So why not fashion, one of the largest industries in the world? So I will definitely include a link in the show notes for you guys to check that out. Now, I have to ask, you guys come up with really cute, like, names for things and the branding's on point. So what what are fanzines? What's a fanzine? I want a fanzine. They're, they look so
0: cool. What are they? Yes, fanzines. We, yes, we love the the concept of a fanzine, which is definitely something a zine Many industries use this, um, using it as a tool for uh, communicating the mission, um, using arts and research and collaboration. It's these beautiful, um, annually made small magazines that are crowdsourced by the community, made for the community, um, highlighting artists and designers and researchers and just really advocating for our personal mission of, um, you know, a more fair, clean, and just fashion industry. So Fashion Revolution uh, UK partners with Um, various different artists and poets and does calls for submissions to really just engage community leaders from everywhere, Um, not just in fashion, but other individuals who can mobilize and use their voice for change. And then to just really create these beautiful, inspiring pieces that you want that you want to share with your friends that you want to share with your communities that you want on your coffee table um, and really just use those as conversation pieces uh, for the mission that we're all so rooted in. And so we love our fanzines. Yes. Please go and check them all out um, and maybe create your own or, you know, get inspired, write a poem, do some research, make a piece of art, um, do a craft Whatever, whatever you are moved and called to do, that's what a fanzine is for. Ugh,
1: I love it so much. I love it. Um, now, I'm currently in the Washington D.C. area in the U.S., and I know that here, at least, there are several lobbyists and associations that advocate on behalf of very large, you know, companies, and I'm sure a lot of large fashion companies. So you know, I'm just curious. I know that um, you have a, a team that handles this, but um, are there any sort of like legislative hurdles that are currently um, that your organization is currently experiencing on the Hill? I know it can be pretty intense and and dollars dollars push a lot of things not only here but just around the world. And so as people are considering cost and companies are considering their costs especially during like, you know, times like a pandemic or an economic downturn, there might be some pushback against the investment that it takes to make the uh the right decisions for not only humans but the planet. So I'm curious what kinds of challenges, if any, um, that you guys have currently um, been, you know, running into?
0: Yeah, I can start. Um, The U.S. is still very early in its policy work around fashion specifically as, as the model currently stands um although the idea of like citizen activism and you know citizen advocacy has been around for decades and and various movements fashion itself is i think newer to this conversation here in the US i think europe and other other um places are maybe further ahead than we are um and then at fashion revolution usa our policy team is just getting some momentum. And as you mentioned, dollars, yes, we're an all-volunteer team. So we just are bringing and building our community in a grassroots way um, around that. So obviously some hurdles are personal um, money and, and ability to move these things forward. And right now in the US, I think not a lot of legislators even have fashion on their radar. Yeah. It's probably a new conversation to them. They probably aren't aware of the issues around how much waste um is in the in the stream and some of the human rights um violations and things. And often that goes back to that conversation around transparency is that people think fashion is happening somewhere else in the world. They don't think that they are a part of it or that they have responsibility in it or that it's happening here in our own backyard. And so I do want to give some, um, you know, visibility to what's happening in the state of California right now, which is something fashion revolution USA has been focusing on is um, SB 62, also known as the garment worker protection act. Um, It's a bill that um, is in the legislature and is focusing on creating many needed protections for garment workers in Los Angeles. There's currently over... I think it's over forty-six thousand garment workers in Los Angeles, which is something a lot of people don't know about. It's one of the largest um, industries here, and you know California could potentially really lead the way for advocating for the rights of people who make our clothes. and And so, this uh, particular um, effort around pushing this forward would really help. Um, protects garment workers and hold fashion brands accountable through shared liability and and really ensuring that there's more uh, fair wages and and stopping this conversation around wage theft and ending what we're seeing as the piece rate system, which is something that not a lot of people understand either, is that a lot of garment workers are paid um, like by the amount that they can create, the number of garments or pieces that are produced. And at a, it, at a certain point in in the industry, it made sense for them to be incentivized by producing more and making more money. But ultimately, it, it has been you know, used now to actually oppress individuals, not paying them an hourly um, minimum wage or um, really just using that to uh, make them work longer hours or, um, you know, are paid pennies per piece. And so what I think started out as a really um, positive incentivizing element has really transformed into an oppressive system. So this piece of legislation would be, I think, very transformational in the U.S. for pushing for... Um, protections for this, and then also driving more awareness of how these kinds of things happen globally, and that they also happen in the U.S. So we're focusing on right now. Um, And I know Kathleen can also speak a little bit to um, the fashion czar and some other opportunities for that global conversation. Well,
1: I just got to say very quickly, I'm from California. And if you guys don't know about the Garment District in L.A., number one, check it out. But number two, it makes sense. I didn't know it was so large. I had no idea. Do you know approximately how large uh, the the garment industry or the workers, the garment workers are uh, in L.A.? Like, I'm just so curious. because I'm like,
2: it's actually bigger than New York City right now. You're kidding me. Wow. Going to the point where I, I, I'm getting emails constantly from, you know, colleagues within the industry that are now relocating to L.A., so the more that we can support this legislation of SB62 the more that it then trickles into other you know smaller manufacturing sites without within the US and beyond so it's a it's a big deal um this legislation and there's a lot of ways to be involved in it even just um looking at the fashion revolution USA site we have the toolkit that you can download a template letter and then just mail it in or, you know, even repost tweets, even repost social media, um, any, any aspect of sharing the information out and just getting more people to show this concern allows for the, you know, the people in, in these official positions to say, this is what the public wants. Let's go this way. So any, any aspect of that would be so greatly appreciated.
0: Yeah, I also want to just name that this is where partnership and collaboration comes in. You know, we're not we're not stewarding this conversation alone. Um, the Garment Workers Center in Los Angeles has really been the powerhouse behind pushing for supporting um, other organizations like Remake. Um, you know, it's going to be all of us coming together to really mobilize, and so every individual can have. Um, and impact, even if you're in Minneapolis, like I am, you know, tweeting at the governor of California, or just like letting your friends know, hey, did you know this? Like, let's encourage XYZ um, to happen in Los Angeles, um, and making calls, or writing letters, or sharing social media posts, and there's so many small ways that make a really big momentum and movement happening, and and now is the time. Yes. And,
1: and, in reference to the workers, like, are we asking that their wages, you know, be raised? Are we, are we asking, um, for, for demands in the workplace to curtail this, this abuse that's happening? Like, is there a list of things we need to demand?
0: Let's go. Let's go, Ashlyn. Let's go, Kathleen. We've got a toolkit that has been uh, put together by those partnership orgs that we've talked about. We're all coming together to talk about what is what is in the Garment Worker Protection Act. And like I mentioned, there was some main highlights about ending that peace rate system. So how are we ensuring that, you know, there's more uh, paid fair wages that we can up the minimum wage beyond the two to $5 that it is per hour right now. So a minimum living wage. Um, I think it is also then, you know, holding fashion brands accountable together, um, that we're not going to let these unpaid wages continue. Um, and it's not just liability on the factories, um, keeping garment workers safe and and like you said stopping these human rights abuses within the factories like there's so many dangerous and inhumane elements that are behind the scenes that we don't know about or hear about um, and even the pandemic you know amplified that and so so many garment workers were not provided with personal protective equipment and just basic safety precautions and so this this would be, you know that holding accountability around these conversations so that we you know don't have to continue to to ask for these things that they'll be in a policy and just be expected um, and so I think there's a lot of um, opportunity for us to do that, and you can read even more um in our toolkit in uh, in and around the garment worker center, there's videos and behind the scenes, um, documentaries that remake has made. It's really just, it's all there. um, if you're ready to dive in and just, um, you know, start exploring.
1: You will not be the same. You guys, you will, you will, you will definitely walk away completely changed with a new perspective. Kathleen,
2: back to you. Yeah, I was going to mention, so two things. One is as far as what's happening on, you know, the Hill and happening within Washington, we have this whole new cabinet. So we um, luckily have Jennifer Fisher Clay, who is an advisory with us at Fashion Revolution. She's in Washington, D.C. She's a lobbyist. She talks, you know, within the classes that I teach at different universities, as well as different conversations that we've had at Fashion Revolution. She's... Like she brings us this whole angle of of policy and how, you know, people can from all walks of citizens can be a part of the policy. But um, it was really important. This this uh, article written by Elizabeth Sagren calling for a fashion czar within the, this new cabinet, calling for a specific person on the Hill that is. You know, giving some validity, as Ashlyn also put, that fashion doesn't have a value in many people's uh, mindset. So it gives validity, but it also gives, like, these legislation pieces just the understanding of how large the fashion industry is. And I mean, if you look at the people who even die cut the buttons, and, you know, where does the thread come from? Where do, what are the farmers dealing with? It's an enormous industry. So if if we could have that one person or maybe two, but let's go for one for now, um, on the Hill directing these conversations, I think that we could get a much stronger foothold into getting the regulations, but also getting the support needed for all the actors and roles within the industry.
1: Wow. I that would be amazing. And thank you for that update. I'm like, ooh, we will be including her in the notes as well. So anything we can do to support her her efforts here in the D.C. area and just around the nation, we will look into that. Um, you know, really quickly on the worker front, um, is there a large percentage of these workers, at least globally, that are children? Is child labor still a
2: factor in some of this? Absolutely, absolutely. When we when we talk about when Ashley mentioned transparency, when you talk about transparency, um, transparency means in some ways that when you're creating, let's say you're creating a fashion collection, and then you say to this person who has this this factory that will produce your garments and you say okay I'll sign on with that fac- fac- factory if if that factory is inundated with a lot of production they then outsource it and then it can even go to that factory being inundated so they then outsource it so then you know this collection that was maybe, you know, had every responsible action is all of a sudden not seeing where their garments are being made or, you know, who's making them. Is there a child involved? Is there a child even involved in the farming and and in the farming of fibers? But to that point, there's a whole nother piece of how this works and how, you know, families are either needing to be together where the child does need to be with the parents at these worker sites. And how is that supported by what the manufacturing is doing? So it's a big question, Kirsten, I'll tell you, because there's some, you know, ethics on both sides of it. So we have to look at it from a very large lens and it could be a whole nother discussion. Oh, my God. I know. I'm like, oh, I had to bring it up.
1: I had to bring it up. I have two little ones and I just could not imagine as a parent. But you know, I also know that, you know, depending on your situation, you're just like, okay, we gotta work and and make money for food and do what we gotta do,
2: you know. Well, yeah, think think about COVID. We're doing everything from home. I have three children too. And you know, they're (laughs) looking you know, trying to get through this whole COVID thing. But have to work and manage your kids. And if you're on a farm, you're doing the same thing. So, you know, it's, it's a fine line of what is ethical with child labor. And of course, I'm not saying that I would condone it, but you have to keep families together and you have to support them. And everyone has such different, you know, different environments right now. And COVID is affecting so much. So we need to be in, in support of all these different aspects um, Absolutely. so yeah, it's a bigger question, but something that should we should definitely talk more about.
1: For sure. And I also think that, you know, just from a U.S. Per- perspective, sometimes we come from a, a perspective of privilege, you know, <laughs> in, in comparison to so many other places in the world. So I think that's something that we also have to keep in mind as we're looking at ethics around the world and, and how cultures uh, interact and, and work. So definitely something we need to continue talking about. Um,
0: what is the Small But Perfectly Formed Initiative? Oh, fun. Um, yes, I think going back to that, um, that global conversation. Um, so the Small But Perfectly Formed Initiative is a newer um, initiative out of um, Europe. So it's cross Europe collaborative project. And it's really focusing on accelerating fashion and the transition for small and medium uh, businesses to develop circular and sustainable business models. So it's kind of an eighteen-month cohort program, ex- you know, in an accelerated. Um, experience with mentors and coaching for small brands and, and businesses um, in integrating sustainability and circular principles into their work. And so it, it, it really recognizes that small businesses pave the way for this systematic change and yes we need the policy yes we need this, but we also need like every part of the supply chain to have um, to, to have a role in that. And so this is really focusing on, um, those industry uh, specific areas upon that foundation where wider solutions can then be made and rep, you know replicated. And so it's it's a really fun and interesting initiative that we're seeing out of Europe. And so I think there's currently an open call for brands and I'm excited to see what, Um, you know, what comes of that and what learnings um, we can then share with various different countries around the world. And so that's what um, I'm seeing out of that initiative right now.
1: Amazing. Amazing. So, you know, I have to ask, um, what can we do? I mean, there's just so much going on. There's so many different areas that fashion and, you know, fashion production impacts. What can what can we do here? Like, <laughs> from from our 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 homes, you know, from from our our laptops, from our from our cell phones. Like, what can we do to support this?
2: So I'll I'll start um, that. Any any piece, any even thought, is a movement um, of educate. Any thought, educating yourself, is a movement towards the positive and i think a lot of people think you know you need to jump in and you need to buy sustainable whatever that means and you need to um you know make all you don't y- you need to just think about your mindset and where you are what your family dynamic is what what you can start thinking about the clothing that you have um you can you can think about the community that repairs clothing can they you know give a little bit to having your pieces last longer when you have to buy something think a little bit about i have to buy this for my child my child is growing like a weed and i you know need a red shirt for band concerts i've been there and you run in and you get a red shirt for the band concert but, but where that red shirt ends up you are now responsible for so so if you even just switch the mindset of i'm bringing this into my family and when I, when I need it to go, when I need it to move on, think about the ways of having it move on. And it's really, honestly, Kirsten, it's a mindset to just slow down yeah. for a minute. And as far as you want to take it, you can take it. I mean, Fashion Revolution, we have every resource for you. Um, but take it as you need to take it. Instead of feeling overwhelmed where all of a sudden you throw your hands up in the air and say, I can't fix this. Um, so that's kind of where I come from and and the standpoint of, you know, how we support anybody that's part of fashion revolution and beyond, um, in, in just looking at your consumer mindset and, and taking the responsibility, um, as, as you can. Yeah. I think similarly for me, um, I think
0: about, you know, what is realistic, um, where are you in your personal journey, recognizing that, what is relevant for a working single mom is not relevant for, you know, someone who is, has a lot of disposable income in a corporate situation. And so just kind of looking at where you are and pausing and slowing down and just really asking yourself reflective questions after getting educated and just picking your fashion values. Ooh, I like that. Fashion values. I gotta write that down. Pick your fashion values. Yes, yes, because we can't do it all. Um, so there's no way to do it perfectly. Um, there's no way to. There's no right and wrong around this. It's just making it, you know, realistic for you and buying less, buying thoughtfully, um, and then to to really for me push for not just asking the question, where can I buy or how can I buy differently? But it's more, how can I live differently? Wow. And that is also getting more active in the conversation on holding brands accountable, getting more active in your community, um, talking to, feeling comfortable talking about policies that need to change. And, and that is something that I think we all have shied away from. And, and I think the pandemic in the last you know two years have really pushed us to see that we actually really do have a strong voice. Yes, voting with your dollars, but voting with your dollar and then saying, hey, XYZ brand that I really love to shop from, that maybe is more of a fast fashion model. Like I want to keep shopping with you, but I want you to do better. Please like, let me keep shopping with you with, you know, these various different expectations that I now have of you. So it is okay and not shameful to like buy the red band shirt if you need to, because we all have that, but how can then you, you also transform the way that you view your power to be something that is transformational for your community and for the system at large And, and doing what you can there as well. And so I just really want to encourage people to see how powerful they are beyond your dollar um, and there's so many resources out there for you to find community and not be alone in this work and in this conversation.
1: I just have to say, Ashlyn for president. Ashlyn for president. You better go ahead. Woo! You better go ahead, Ashlyn. Kristen, you're the <laughs> VP. I mean, I'll be I'll be press secretary. You know, we'll we'll get we'll there get Kathleen up in there.
2: Kathleen, <laughs> VP. <laughs>
1: But, you know, we're, we're wrapping up now and I just have to say on a fashion moment, we always ask our guests, you know, what is one of their favorite fashion moments of all time, you know, personal, professional or something they witness. But with you guys, with Fashion Revolution, I'm curious to know, like, is there a fashion moment where you're like, wow, like what just happened is like showing me that change is is really possible. Like we are, we are moving, like we are making an impact. And even if it's not just, you know, like mind blowing, but maybe even something where it's like, wow, this is pushing us in the right direction. Like, is there a moment that captures that, that you guys can think of?
2: You're like every day, every day. (laughs) Yeah. I would say there's, there's so many moments so there's many. the moments of you know the students who are all of a sudden writing a whole research paper about it and then there's the moments of you know hearing from even religious organizations wanting to get more into understanding you know how do i help my community and it's all of these voices from not the fashion industry um from from people from people of every race, ethnicity, gender, who are really reaching into what can I do? Who made my clothes? Um, hashtag love clothes lasts. Um, who made my shoes? Um, who made my fabric? And it's it's really there's so many there's so many big and little moments.
0: I think I can also say the same thing that it's the little moments that I think we have to spend time cherishing because when we look at something like changes in the fashion industry or the climate emergency or all of these things are happening and we're over and bombarded with, it's the little moments of connection where your mom calls you and says, Hey, I just went to this secondhand consignment shop and I'm supporting sustainability in my own way. And you're like, yes, mom, you did it. And these little moments of, you know, when we connect with uh, our law firm and then all of a sudden the lawyers are asking us fashion questions and saying, how can we be more sustainable? And it's those moments where the reason why we're doing this is for each other and for the community And that when we're in the really deep, hard, dirty, messy work, that is where the real magic is happening is the collective community and the reason why we're doing it all. So I have to constantly remind myself the process is part of the transformation and a part of the reason why we do it. So I hope we all find those moments in this work um, as honestly, maybe the most impactful and the most meaningful.
1: Ah, ah, Beautiful. Thank you so much for being on the show, you guys. Like I, first of all, I could talk to you guys all day. I'm like, I just want to hear about this all day. Your work, Kathleen and what she's got going on in her life. Ashlyn, I know you have a lot going on. So you are always welcome back on the show. If there's a new initiative or something you want to share with us, please come back. So thank you, thank you, thank you.
0: Thanks for having us. It was an absolute delight. Thanks so
1: much for joining me for this week of a fashion moment. If you like what you hear, we'd love for you to join our community of listeners and spread the word about the show. We also want to hear from you share your favorite fashion moments and dream guests with us by sending an audio clip or email to a fashion moment podcast at gmail.com or you can tag us on Instagram at a fashion moment and you could be featured on next week's episode and don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review and let us know what you think until then. See you next time for another fashion moment. Podcast production by Rebecca Rashid and John Taylor Williams. Digital media production by Megan Porras. This recording carries a Creative Commons 4.0 international license. Thanks to Patrick Patricios for their song, Hot Coffee.